0: You're listening to Simply the Best Sports Take, the best podcast breaking down the best stuff in sports with host Sean Bingham. His takes are so good, he dropped the mic, but then you wouldn't be able to hear him, and that would suck. Welcome into STB Sports Take, Simply the Best Sports Podcast. I am your host, Sean Bingham, and we have a jam-packed show for you today. The Utah Jazz are the talk of the NBA. They are the talk of the sporting world, and I am here for it. I live in Utah, I'm a big Jazz fan, and they had quite the game last night. They lose again, unfortunate, they've lost three of four um, to the Sixers this time, and this is becoming a real, real rivalry. The Jazz and the Sixers, number one in their respective conferences, battling it out, and it goes to overtime. Joel Embiid with a kind of a run back—not even a step back, but like a run back three-pointer to force overtime. He had a monster game, but this is becoming a real, true, legitimate rivalry. And before we get into all of the the stuff there, just to recap what happened in that game. Again, it goes to overtime. Donovan Mitchell gets ejected uh, towards the very end of overtime. It was kind of a non-factor that he got ejected the jazz were down by a decent amount with uh, less than a minute to go um, but he gets ejected in overtime and uh, donovan mitchell so just to recap again the box score uh, joel Embiid with the monster game of 40 points 19 rebounds three assists uh, ben simmons had 17 points six assists shocker he put up 17 and six wow haven't we talked about this before Got to, got to credit him for consistency, if nothing else. <laughs> um, okay, and then uh, the big game, though, from Tobias Harris, he had 22, but 11 of those came in overtime. And then on the Jazz side, Donovan Mitchell um, had 33, but he did not shoot super well. He was 12 of 34 uh, from the field, 5 of 12 from 3. Uh, Bogdanovich, 18. Jordan Clarkson, 10. He's usually a spark off the bench. He's only 3 of 10 from the field. Only played twenty three minutes. Um, Joe Ingles sixteen. Rudy Gobert twelve points, nine rebounds. Uh, kind of a bad game for Rudy Gobert. Um, we'll get into that a little bit as well. But so the Jazz ended up losing in overtime. The big controversy is all about the officiating. Okay, and if you watched this game and if you heard Donovan Mitchell post game, he was livid. Um, he had calmed down but was still livid with the officiating he was he left the game stormed off he's knocking over water coolers and the he he goes into the post-game press conference and he's talking about how the jazz are getting screwed they're literally just getting the game was stolen from them we won this game in my opinion things like that saying it's getting freaking he didn't say freaking getting freaking ridiculous and you can't blame the guy there were several calls, there were several, several calls down the stretch of that game that were very, very poorly made, all of which were in the fourth quarter in overtime. And all of them went against the Jazz. So there's the one obvious one, Royce O'Neal tips the ball and saves it before it goes out of bounds. Uh, Donovan has a wide open dunk, okay? And this, is, this came with, i um, looking here, there was 28 seconds left, okay? Donovan has a wide open dunk. This is in regulation. 28 seconds left in the fourth quarter. The Jazz are up 116 to 113. A Donovan dunk at this moment literally seals the game. It's over. And they call call Royce O'Neal for being out of bounds. So they go and look at it, and you can't really tell from the replay exactly what's going on. Um, And they don't really explain much. Um, The NBA later announced that it was because the ball hit the official in the leg, which, as I looked at the replay, we got to be honest jazz fans, it did hit the official in the leg. The the beef I have is the official made literally zero effort to get out of the way. If you watch that replay, the ball is tipped, he has all sorts of time to react and he doesn't. He just stands there and kind of slowly, you know, just barely moves back. Dude, it's the end of a close game. There's 28 seconds left in the fourth quarter of a 3-point basketball game. And you're just kind of like falling asleep on the sideline? Or or is it a small market conspiracy against the Jazz? And he wanted the ball to hit him in the leg. I don't freaking know. But the ball is the, the, the rule is he's standing out of bounds. The ball hits him in the leg. The ball is therefore out of bounds. That is a rule. Jazz fans, we cannot complain about that. We cannot say the ball did not hit him in the leg. It did. What you should be complaining about is that he made zero effort to get out of the way. He made no effort to get out of the way of that ball. And so that now it's like Okay, well, Royce clearly would have gotten to it. He was—he actually had to adjust to the ricochet off his leg to tip it back in, in play for Donovan's uh, would-be dunk. And so the, the official makes no effort there. And that's a game-sealing play for the Jazz. That, that wins the game. It's over. But instead, Joel Embiid gets that, that uh, run-back three-pointer to force overtime. Well, there's another play where Donovan Mitchell gets called for an offensive foul against Ben Simmons when he goes to make a spin move to his left, so he's spinning left into the lane, and Ben Simmons is hooking Donovan Mitchell's left arm. So Donovan's spinning left, ball's in his right hand, and Ben Simmons is literally hooking and, and holding to his chest Donovan Mitchell's left arm, and they called Donovan Mitchell for an offensive foul. I've been watching basketball my entire life. You, I have never seen that. You will never see it again. That was the worst offensive foul call I have ever seen in basketball. A guy is being hooked (laughs) by a defender and is called for an offensive foul. Absolutely ridiculous. And so that's another key play. There's another one where um, Donovan goes into the lane, gets his shot blocked by Joel Embiid, gets the ball back immediately, though, goes up for a second shot, clearly gets hit on the arm right above the elbow on his forearm, very clearly. He misses a two-foot shot by like three feet, which I'm sorry – he doesn't do that. He's not, and it's because the ball slipped out of his hands when he when he got hit in the arm. He gets hit in the arm. The ball kind of jars loose from his hand, so he ends up kind of almost like in his follow through, almost just, just like tipping it. It almost almost becomes a tip in because now the ball has been jarred loose from getting fouled. No call there. So there were there were several critical calls and or no calls, all of which went against the Jazz, and it's baloney. Like it's total total baloney. And there is there is data showing. That these small market teams, the Jazz being number one, get the worst end of things on the plus-minus in the in the last two-minute report that the NBA puts out. They have not put out the one for this game. I've checked several times before sitting down to record this. They have not put this out. Donovan Mitchell will absolutely get fined, um, and I am glad. I am here for it. I love, love, love the fact that he and Rudy Gobert both went to the podium in the post-game press conference and criticize the officials. I love it. Because there's also evidence showing that guys like Russell Westbrook, Draymond Green, guys that are very vocal and complaining, they get calls. They get more calls. When the plus when the plus minus of what was right, what was wrong in the last two-minute report comes out, those guys have a strong plus. And guys like Mike Conley and uh, guys on the Jazz, Donovan Mitchell... Guys that are more quiet, they have the opposite. So the, the more that you complain, the more the officials will listen. They absolutely will. So the officiated in the NBA, I mean, nobody's perfect. And you can never just look at how many foul shots a team took versus another team because people can, just like you can score more points than the other team, you can foul them more than the other team. So I hate it when fans just point to that stat because while it does tell part of the story um, it's a very small part, in my opinion, because there are ways to play better defense and worse defense, and you get the idea. But but when you can point to several different things, when you can point to small markets or players that don't complain, having the, correct, the call corrections go in their favor, but it's after the fact and it doesn't matter. It's like, oh, you know what? We actually were wrong on that. Sorry about it. I mean, that's where it proves that, hey, you know what? We should be vocal. So I love that the Jazz did this. I love that Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, the, the team's two stars, stepped to the podium and chose to get fined. They chose to get fined last night. They will get fined today. There's no question about it. For sure, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert most likely as well. And I'm here for it. I love it. So going to the all-star break, the Jazz you know, had a tough road trip, did not do super well, still first in the West by three games. And the Sixers have a very small half-game lead over the Nets, um, which would have they would have swipped, uh, swapped places there with the Nets had the Jazz won that game last night. But this is a real rivalry because you have Donovan Mitchell and Ben Simmons, their rivalry for the Rookie of the Year, which Ben Simmons won his fake rookie season. So Ben Simmons, of course, was in Season 2. Donovan Mitchell was in Season 1. And Donovan Mitchell should have been Rookie of the Year even against Ben Simmons. But because Ben Simmons was in season two, being called a rookie, he had an advantage in one rookie of the year. So there's a huge rivalry there. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell showed up wearing that sweatshirt <laughs> where, you know, he was had the definition of rookie uh, displayed on his sweatshirt, on his hoodie. And there's, there's clearly beef between those two. Ben Simmons did a decent job locking him up last night down the stretch, but not really. And I'm going to get into how Ben Simmons is so freaking overrated, I can't stand it. Um... Joel Embiid though did have a heck of a game against Rudy Gobert, and there's a huge rivalry there. Last year, um, Gobert makes third team All NBA, and Joel Embiid calls him out by name and says, "I'm sorry, like I get it. Anthony Davis, he played great. He should be first team All NBA. Jokic, that's debatable, but Joel, or, but uh, Rudy Gobert, you kidding me?" And so now you've got the two superstars of each team, the two stars of each team, calling each other out, Ben Simmons, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, Joel Embiid, the two teams are at the top of their conferences. This is a rivalry. And if they were in the same conference, it would be a legitimate, true rivalry. Because they're not, they can't play in the playoffs unless they reach the finals, but... um, I, I'm I'm really, really frustrated with last night's game as a Jazz fan and just as an NBA fan in general. And honestly, you should be too. The integrity of the game needs to be upheld. And when it's very obvious that small market teams get fewer calls than big market teams, that's a problem. That's something people should be concerned about. And so I love that Donovan Mitchell did this. I hope we see some more true and fair uh, games called down the stretch of the season as we go into the second half. Um So getting back to, you know, Ben Simmons and Rudy Gobert and this rivalry between all these guys and um, defensive player of the year candidates came out or leaderboard, if you will, by the NBA. And Ben Simmons was at the top of it. Ben freaking Simmons was at the top of the defensive player of the year rankings. Rudy Gobert was second, Miles Turner third. LeBron James, fourth, and Jamal Murray, fifth. So, those were the top five guys that uh, were released as like the top defenders or the top candidates for Defensive Player of the Year this season. What are they looking at? What are they talking about? Like, again, last night, unfortunately, not the best example uh, of what the the point I want to illustrate. Gobert gives up 40 and 19 to Joel Embiid, and then uh, Donovan shoots 12 of 34. Part of the time being guarded by Ben Simmons, but that's one game, and Donovan still had 33, and Joel Embiid is an MVP candidate. I'll get into my MVP, you know, leaderboard um, later this week, but but it's one game, okay? So you dig into the real, true numbers. To me, Gobert is the Defensive Player of the Year running away. He's the Defensive Player of the Year as easily as Michael Jordan should have been the MVP every single season. Like, he's clearly the best defender. He's clearly the one that alters games the most on the defensive end. They just kind of get sick of giving it to the same guy every season. That's why you only saw Michael Jordan win five MVPs when he should have won probably 11 or 12 even. Um, that's why LeBron James has only won four MVPs. That's why Gobert has two defensive player of the years, and then they're like, eh, let's give it to Giannis last year, you know? So, in real plus-minus, okay, which takes into account um, it defensive plus-minus, it, it's it's an interesting stat, but it basically takes into account the on the defensive end, what how many points is your team giving up when you're on the court versus when you're off the court, and it divides it by the minutes that you played versus the minutes that the game was played, and it takes anyway. It's it's a really cool way of def, of determining how truly you're impacting the game on the defensive end when you're on the floor. Rudy Gobert is first in the NBA in that category. He is second in blocked shots. He is third in rebounds. He is third in defensive win shares. And his opponents shoot 7.3% worse against him than they do against all other players. So when he's defending somebody, they're shooting 7.3% worse. So again, first in real plus minus, which is a huge stat. Second in blocks, third in rebounds, third in defensive win shares. And his opponents are shooting 7.3 percent worse against him, so that's like a guy that typically shoots 50 percent. He's going to shoot 43 or 42 percent when Rudy Gobert guards him. If he typically shoots 45, 30, uh, 30 what, <laughs> 38, what's the math there? So that, that's a telling, telling stat. Ben Simmons, okay. On the other hand, Ben Simmons, who for whatever reason is number one for Defensive Player of the Year this year, Ben Simmons is 279th in real plus-minus. 279th okay Rudy Gobert is number one Ben Simmons is 279th okay but this is the defensive player of the year apparently he's 34th in defensive win shares 34th again Rudy Gobert is third he's averaging 1.6 steals and 0.7 blocks it doesn't uh, the steals part uh, puts him at like sixth or something in the league again Gobert is second in blocks third in rebounds Um, both of those, by the way, 1.6 steals and 0.7 blocks, both of those are below his career averages for Ben Simmons. And he's never made first team all defense. Um, and last year, uh, he was, let's see last year. Oh, last year he was first team all defense. Excuse me. So last year he was first team all defense before that he'd never been first or second despite having identical numbers. So again, Ben Simmons, 279th in defensive, uh, Real plus minus, thirty fourth in defensive win shares, and then below his career averages for steals and blocks, but somehow, some way, he's the defensive player of the year. I don't get it. And by the way, his his uh, opponents are shooting just four point three percent worse uh, when he defends them versus when others defend him. So there's just there's nothing there's nothing that I can see that warrants Ben Simmons as defensive player of the year. Literally nothing. Like I, I, I you can look at. Anything you want. you can, And just go watch the games. Like, go watch the games. Go see what Rudy Gobert does. If there was a stat for number of times a guy was scared to drive the lane because Rudy Gobert was there, he'd be Defensive Player of the Year every year because there'd be a statistic for these media people to look at and be like, oh, shoot, he's number one there too. But because they don't have – there's no stat for that. There's no stat for like, hey, how much fear did guys have going against you? And Rudy Gobert would lead the league in that every year. The dude's freaking a monster with monster wingspan and has a huge knack for where the ball is and how to block shots. And there's no stat for that. So he's he's altering shots and making guys scared that just don't show up in the in the stat sheet. Real plus minus is probably the greatest stat we have to gauge that. and he's first in the league. And he's also among the leaders in you know the opponent's shooting percentage and the improvement he does there. So, to me, it's not even close. Rudy Gobert should be the, the defensive player of the year. Again, last night, not the greatest example. Joel Embiid's an MVP candidate, and he had a heck of a game. Hats off to him. But Ben Simmons, Ben Simmons shouldn't even be in the top five. He should not even be in the top five. He's a good on-ball defender. He's, he's athletic, and he's big. He's 6'11", and can move. So he's a very versatile defender. Uh, I'm not saying he doesn't deserve to be like on maybe second or third team all defense, but defensive player of the year. You could even argue put him on first team if you want. I don't think he deserves that even, but I don't care if you want to even say that because he's doing some things similar to Gobert on ball that don't show up in the stat sheet. And so but defensive player of the year no i'm sorry for 279th in real plus minus 34th in defensive win shears, i'm not sure how you how you justify putting him as defensive player of the year especially when his most telling stats for defense which are steals blocks rebounds are identical to his career averages and he's never even been mentioned as defensive player of the year so ben simmons overrated and uh sixers and jazz have a real legitimate uh Rivalry going on. Okay, so speaking of potential rivalries, although this is not a rivalry at all, I just had to transition to using something. Uh, James Harden returns to Houston last night, and the uh, they have a v- tribute video for him, and it's you know it's cool. It's a little awkward. There's like only a few thousand fans in the stadium, of course, because of uh, you know COVID protocol and things like that. But they have a tribute for him, and the Nets go on to uh, destroy the Rockets. James Harden has another triple double. Which, by the way, is his eighth triple-double in 23 games with the Nets. In 23 games with a team, he has eight triple-doubles. This guy went from being like one of my least favorite players in the league to showing his humility, changing up his game a little bit. And he's an MVP candidate at this point. I don't think he'll win it. I don't think he'll finish even top... Maybe he'll finish third. That would be the highest I would put him, though. You're going to see it be Joel Embiid and LeBron James, barring some sort of setback in the second half of the season. Um, But he's an MVP candidate uh, with eight triple-doubles in 23 games with the Nets. So last night, again, they win 132-114. He went for 29, 14 assists, and 10 rebounds. Uh, Kyrie Irving... Had 24 points and 6 assists. Kevin Durant did not play. We will see him again after the All-Star break, which I'm very excited for, to see how these guys do with all three of them at the same time. And the Rockets have lost 13 in a row, and they are a disaster. Uh, Victor Oladipo, who I thought was turning into a legitimate star, uh, he had 33 last night, but it was 9 of 25 from the field, and it just isn't, it just isn't equaling wins in Houston. Again, losers of 13 straight. But James Harden, um, with with again, with the monster triple-double, and he was named the Player of the Month for February along with Devin Booker. So Harden for the East, Booker, of course, for the West. And they retired his number, by the way. The Rockets have announced they are retiring James Harden's number. So I was wondering, is it deserving? Is it too soon? I mean, he certainly is one of the greatest players they've had. They didn't even reach a finals, though. Um, he didn't play... Even the majority of his career there, by the time he retires, he will have been on other teams more than he was with them, with with Houston. because obviously he started with OKC, now he's with Brooklyn, and he's got plenty of years left. So it just was an interesting thing to announce it that quickly. Hey, we're going to retire his number. Um, but he is having a monster year. Hats off to him. Uh, he's really changing my opinion of him. And speaking, by the way, of retired numbers, uh, J.J. Watt is going to be number 99 in uh, Arizona. Their, number 99 had been retired by the team years ago from, I forget the, the player's name, but it was a guy from like the 20s or something, something long ago. Um, and he spoke, not the 20s obviously, but long ago. And uh, he spoke to the, the this guy, his, this player has passed away. And J.J. Watt spoke to his daughter and got permission. And while that is cool, it's like if you're the daughter – and JJ Watt calls you up and says, Hey, can I play on your dad's number? How are you saying no? But if I'm if I'm being honest, if it was my dad, okay, if it was my father whose jersey had been retired by a team, the point of retiring the number is to honor it by not letting somebody else wear it. That is literally the only point of retiring a number. But now you're like in this awkward position of having to say no to an a, a, a iconic guy that just came to play for your, your team. Of course she's gonna say yes, but of course she doesn't want to say yes. So I kinda think it was not cool of JJ Watt to ask. I think it should be offered to you. If, if she wanted to offer it without him asking, then that would be different. But for you to ask, I don't like that. I don't like that because you're, you're putting her in such an awkward position. She doesn't want her dad's number being worn by somebody else. It was retired for a reason. It was retired so that you couldn't wear it, so that it would always be remembered as his number. And now it's going to be looked at as your number. So I didn't like that move uh, by J.J. Watt. I really didn't. I love J.J. Watt. I didn't like that move. Um, I think if she just comes out and says, hey, you know what? I want him to wear it. This number's retired by my dad. This is what he'd want. It's That's very different than you being approached. So I didn't love that. I, you know, yeah, I just didn't. I didn't. Um, okay, but back to the NBA. I digress. Back to the NBA. Um, the Suns beat the Lakers, and then the Kings beat the Lakers. Uh, this Kings game last night, uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James both did not play. So that was kind of expected. But the game before that the lebron did play so the and they lost anyway to the suns who are another team we're going to talk about here but the lebron james they were 28 and 27 in games he played uh, in the 2018-2019 season so his first season with the lakers they were 28 and 27 in games he played they missed the playoffs okay and everyone wants to point to the fact that he missed you know like 20 something games or whatever it was Well, they were one game above 500 with him in the lineup, in the starting lineup at full strength or very close to full strength, okay? Injuries are part of the game. He missed some games, although he's never missed games before, and, you know, knock on wood, hopefully he doesn't miss anymore because we like him in the league, but they were 28 and 27 in games that he did play, 28 and 27. This year... They are seven and seven without Anthony Davis. So the 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 thing we're seeing here, and, th- and obviously one of those games he didn't play. So they're seven and six. We'll call it even in games with him and without Anthony Davis. So again, one game above five hundred. Are you seeing a trend here? Is LeBron really making so many other players better, or does he really just need a superstar with him to be above five hundred? Because what I'm looking at is that he needs another superstar to even be above five hundred. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, Anthony Davis. Everybody needs another star to like make a real impact in the playoffs. But Russell Westbrook got his team to the playoffs without anybody after Kevin Durant left, averaged a triple-double, went to the well above 500, went to the playoffs. He did it. Chris Paul last year with the Thunder, we're going to get into Chris Paul big time here in a minute. He did it with the Thunder as well. Took a team that had zero shot of making the playoffs in everybody's mind they were the fifth in the west and went to a game seven in the playoffs against his former team we don't see that out of lebron we did maybe early early in his career with the Cavs before he went to his first stint with the Cavs before he went to miami but ever since he went to miami which was what was that 10 seasons ago now 11 seasons ago he's done 4-4-3 four, four, yeah this is his 11th season since leaving the Cavs the first time we haven't seen him do anything without a bona fide superstar at his side, usually two of them. Okay. And the in the in the small, small sample size we have of him playing without that, he is one game above five hundred with the with the Lakers in 2018-19, one game this year, uh without Anthony Davis. So I don't know that I'm buying that LeBron James makes people so much better. I did a whole podcast on this years ago. We won't go into that further. But the Lakers, with Anthony Davis, are obviously the favorites still in the West, in my opinion. But I want to go back into what I call the Chris Paul effect. If you're on YouTube, you're going to be able to see this laid out. I'm going to try and make it uh, bearable for the listening audience to follow along with. Chris Paul... Is a guy that I have actually not been the biggest fan of. I think he's a whiner. I think he just that. I think he complains and flops, and I don't like it. And he's one of the league leaders. You know, he's like the actual one of the actual leaders and ambassadors of the league uh, for the players' union. And I don't think that's an example that should be set for the younger players, for the fans to see a guy that's so integral and, and a kind of a face of the league to see him flopping and complaining all the time. So, kind of hate that about him. But the Chris Paul effect is very, very real. And I thought that last season and I really opened my eyes to it this season. The Suns were 34 and 39 last year, which was 10th in the West. Okay. Under 500, 10th in the West. This year they're 23 and 11, well above 500 and they're second in a stacked Western conference. Okay. So that opens my eyes. I'm like, geez, like this guy keeps doing it. You know, last year I saw it with the Thunder. So I looked back at his entire career and I looked at what teams did before he got there, while he was there and right after he left. Here it is on YouTube, check it out. If you're not listening or if you're listening not on YouTube, love everybody, love all you guys. Please continue to listen, subscribe, but just know that we are on YouTube as well. So, okay, the Hornets, Bobcats slash Hornets. It was the same franchise. They just kind of swapped the name back and forth while he was there. Um, the year before he got there, they were 18 and 64, 18 and 64. Okay. That is a, that is a joke. Like I could have been on that team and they probably would have had the same record. Um, that, that, that's how bad they are. That's the point of that. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have lost more games than they, I mean, that's, that's horrible. His rookie season, a 20 game improvement. They more than doubled their win total his rookie year by season three. He would, they were 56 and 26. By his third season. They went from 18 wins before he got there to by his third year winning 56 games. That's incredible, okay? Immediately after he leaves, 21 and 45. And again, that was a a shortened season. Um, And so that's a 31.8 win percentage. It's a 0.318 win percentage. Horrendous, okay? Absolutely horrendous. The Clippers, the year before he got there, they're winning 39% of their games, 32 and 50. His first season, Boom, eight game improvement, but it wasn't just eight games because again, that was the strike season. It was the season after he left, uh, the Bobcats or the Hornets strike season. So they went from a 39% win percentage to a 61% win percentage his first year. So they almost doubled their win percentage. Okay. They then had five straight seasons of 50 plus win games, which they for sure would have had even that first year had this, had the season been a full length season. The year after he leaves missed the playoffs. Okay, so again, Bobcats, Hornets, horrendous before he got there, great when he was there, awful when he left. Clippers, awful before he got there, great while he was there, awful when he, well, not awful, but bad when he left. They're back now with Kawhi and PG, but that's a different entirely different team. Um, So now you go to the Rockets. The Rockets were obviously really good already. They were second in the West before he got there with James Harden. But they went from 55 and 27 to immediately going to first in the West, a 10 game improvement, which is significant. 10 games is a significant improvement. That's more than an eighth of the season, okay? Or it's an eighth of the season. To first in the West, okay? They finished first in the Western Conference. That was when KD, Steph, and Clay, and Draymond were all on the Warriors. The Rockets finished in first, okay? And they were one game away from the finals, one game away from the finals. They and and they ended up losing Game Seven against the Warriors, and it's a game, honestly, that they would have won, in my opinion, had Chris Paul been able to play. Chris Paul didn't play, and so they lost. So that almost further proves that point. That he leaves and they get Russell Westbrook. Okay, so you you think of it as kind of like an apples for apples trade? Well, different players, but should get a similar result? Nope. Forty-four and twenty-eight when he leaves. Forty-four and twenty-eight from sixty-five and seventeen. Forty-four and twenty-eight. 21 game drop when he leaves and they got another superstar in his place. So then you go to the Thunder. This one's a little bit more difficult, but they were 49 and 33 with Russell Westbrook and Paul George the year before, okay? They lose both of those guys. They lose two superstars. Replace him, replace them with one aging and overpaid star in Chris Paul, and they get the exact same result. Nearly an identical record. They go to the playoffs, losing the first round. Although this was an, a slightly better first round. They didn't get waved at goodbye by Damian Lillard. They go all the way to Game 7 against the Rockets and lose the Game 7. Um, this year, the Thunder, 14-21, 12th in the West. The Thunder, by the way, were 6th in the West before he got the year before he got there with Westbrook and Paul George, 5th the year he was there. So actually bumped up a spot in the playoff uh, standings the year he was there, and then now they're 12th. Okay, so it's like, again, just team after team after team after team. They suck before he gets there. They're really good while he's there. They suck after he leaves. The Suns last year, we already went over that, but again, 34 and 39, 10th in the West last year. This year, second in the West, and we'll see what happens when he leaves, if he does leave or if he retires there. But the Chris Paul effect is very, very real. To me, the the biggest mistake this guy has made is wanting to get paid, which I guess that's just the mistake that uh, it it, it just feels like it hasn't lined up for him. He's never been like a free agent at the right time. It feels like to go and join, you know, the right kind of superstar. And he kind of had that raw deal when the NBA canceled the trade that was happening that was going to send him to LA to join Kobe Bryant. I think he would have won a title there, but Chris Paul is one of the greatest point guards in NBA history. And this is difficult for me to say. You know this is how it it really is because I'm very vocal about not being his biggest fan. But the Chris Paul effect is very, very real. This guy wins basketball games. He makes players better. He makes players better. He facilitates. His leadership ability is incredible. The Suns all of a sudden are looking like the team they should be. Devin Booker. DeAndre Ayton and him, like it's 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 finally coming together, and he is the reason. He is the reason it's all coming together. What he did with the Thunder last year was remarkable. So CP3 is a guy that's never won an MVP. He's rarely, if ever, talked about in the MVP chatter. He's never won a title, never even been to the finals, but he's a winner. He's a bona fide proven winner, and I would like to see him get a ring. He just is probably going to have to somehow move again because I don't see the Suns doing it uh, anytime soon. And it might be that he takes a lot less money. I think his contract's up next year. Maybe he takes a lot less money to go join a team that uh, is right there on the cusp of, of winning a title. But it, it, it it's real. It's very, very real, uh, the Chris Paul effect. Okay. That is all the time I have for today. You guys are awesome. Thank you for subscribing. Please subscribe on all the platforms. You guys have a chance to be here from the from the early, early days. We're going to build this podcast big. And the YouTube channel is brand spanking new. And so I'd love it if you could subscribe. It's got some weird URL right now because it's so it's so new. You have to have it for 30 days before they'll let you uh, create like a custom URL. But go to um, go to anchor.fm/stb sports take, and there I've got a link to the YouTube, so you can just link from there to uh, to subscribe. But please subscribe on YouTube, subscribe on on Apple Podcasts, on Anchor, Spotify, wherever you're listening and share this, share this baby. Let's get this baby shared out there. You guys are awesome. That's all I have for today. I am out. Peace. We got the we got the Thanks for hanging with Simply the Best Sports Take. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and check out stbsportstake.com. Simply the best in sports.